if we look as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And a good morning to you. Push that button, Andrew. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. Thanks for joining us as we get started on this Thursday, the 10th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2020. Thanks for being with us. Coming up, a special treat for you in a half an hour. We're going to talk with the sage from South Central. Larry Elder will be joining us. Uh, coming up to talk about something that has invaded, I suppose is the best way to say it, um, so much of our educational systems and so much of our cultural worldview that it is taking over and people don't realize it. It is very, very subtle in some cases, and it is very, very uh, obvious and upfront in others. And I'm talking about critical race theory, something that... Um, Peter Kersenow and I have discussed at length on this program. There is now a new paper that has been written, a report that has been done, studying critical race theory and its impact on race relations and on our communities, on our society, quite frankly, on our republic. Critical race theory, we are finding out, is rooted in Marxism. And Larry Elder was on Fox and Friends this morning talking about this. I reached out to Larry on short notice and said, can we go more in-depth than they give him the three minutes or so on Fox? Can we go more in-depth than that on our program here today? And Larry graciously said, yes, indeed, even though it's very, very early for him. As he, of course, is on Pacific Coast time, he will be joining us at 9.35 to talk about the explosion of critical race theory in America and how it is, quite frankly, poisoning America. It really is. That's not an underst- or an overstatement. Poisoning America. The report that I'm referring to, by the way, has been done by the Heritage Foundation's Center for Education Policy. And Jonathan Butcher wrote a piece about it for the Daily Signal in which they kind of give a summary of the report about race in America and critical race theory, also known as critical legal theory or simply critical theory. And again, it roots back to Marxism. It's extraordinarily dangerous. It's extraordinarily um, 
uh, let's say, pervasive because it's really spreading fast throughout the educational communities and the corporate communities, many of whom believe that they don't adopt critical race theory to keep those privileged, systemically racist whites in line uh, that their companies are going to fall victim to. Um, well, we, we know what, to Black Lives Matter and to the other organizations that are going to demand that they do so. So it's really, really a dangerous thing, and we're going to talk about it with Larry Elder at 935. But our start today is going to be on Eric Swalwell. Eric Swalwell, Congressman Eric Swalwell, one of the biggest mouths that ever roared. He tried to run for president, but couldn't generate three votes beyond his family members, and maybe the Chinese spy that he was doing while he was on his way up in political rising into the Congress. And when I say doing, I mean it in the way that you think I mean it. Eric Swalwell ran for president. Eric Swalwell is a big-mouth California congressman who has alleged for the last four years that Donald Trump is not just colluding with Russians or wasn't during his election or his uh, campaign, but that Donald Trump is literally an asset of the Russians, owned lock, stock, and barrel by Vladimir Putin and uh, other members of the Russian government, that he is in the United States to advance Russian causes and Russian interests, not American interests. He's been saying this for four years. He's been, fortunately, fortunately, even the left-wing media, which I have a story on today, too, even the left-wing media eventually stopped covering this guy and these claims because they were just so patently absurd. But that's what makes this story all the more, well, two things, ironic and sweet, sweet, delicious irony. Come to find out that the only tool, at least in this situation, for a foreign government, tool or asset of a foreign government, is Eric Swalwell to the Chinese. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has called for Swalwell not to be taken off of the Intelligence Committee, which, shockingly, impossibly, he sits upon. But Kevin McCarthy has called for Eric Swalwell to be removed from Congress, period, following this report about his connections to a Chinese spy. Tucker, I think, did a great job of you yesterday. They did a little bit of a mock-up of the Austin Powers movie, you know, the Mike Myers. Mike Myers, Austin Powers movie, The Spy Who Shagged Me. <laughs> the Spy Who Shagged uh, Eric Swalwell is a little bit more accurate. This is only the tip of the iceberg, McCarthy said last night, because remember what we're hearing. These are Chinese spies that go down to the level of mayors. They court and help city council members become a congressman. This congressman now gets on the Intel Committee. They are only selected by, for the Intel Committee by leaders of the party, meaning Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is one of the Gang of Eight, along with myself. Did Nancy Pelosi know this had transpired when she put him on the committee? We have our Senator Dianne Feinstein, who for two years, or excuse me, two decades, the personal assistant to hear all of her private phone calls in her car and others, was a Chinese spy. Why did the Democrats pull out of the bipartisan China task force that I had set up, McCarthy asked last night on Laura Ingram? Why did Speaker Pelosi pull out of that? Why have they denied certain bills that would hold China accountable that have passed the Senate? 
Why do the Chinese focus on Silicon Valley members of Congress? Why is he, meaning Swalwell, still on the Intel Committee? Why is he still a member of Congress? Did Adam Schiff know as chairman of that committee that Swalwell had this problem? McCarthy noted that members of the House Intelligence Committee get classified information that other members of Congress do not get. McCarthy questioned why Swalwell was attacking the DNI John Ratcliffe, who was repeat, had repeatedly warned that China is the largest threat to national security that the United States faces. The only person attacking him for that comment and for that assessment, McCarthy continued, was Swalwell. Now we learn why. Why is this person still here? Remember that Swalwell said, or what Swalwell said, he accused the president of everything that he did. By lying to the American public and sitting on the Intel Committee, not only should he be removed from Intel, he should be removed from Congress as well. So let's talk a little bit about what this allegation or what these revelations of Eric Swalwell are really all about. Eric Swalwell has been essentially outed as being in a sexual relationship, hence the the aforementioned vernacular, um, in a sexual relationship with a woman named Christine Fung, also known as Fung Fung. And this is an Axios report that outed them. Mind you, Axios is not exactly a conservative media outlet. But after the bombshell report linked Swalwell to this Chinese spy, Christine Fong, and again, knowing that they carried on a sexual relationship, Swalwell responded by blaming Donald Trump. Uh, He did. Swalwell said, you know, I've been a critic of the president. I've spoken out against him. I was on both committees that worked to impeach him. The timing feels like that should be looked at. In other words, yesterday, Eric Swalwell said that it's because I accused Donald Trump of being an asset and a tool of Russia. Donald Trump is leaking things that are uh, making me look like I'm a tool and an asset of China. That's his response. What it appears through, though, that this person, as the story reports, was unsuccessful in whatever they were trying to do. But if intelligence officials are trying to weaponize someone's cooperation, they are essentially seeking to do what this person was not able to do, which is try and discredit someone. So the specifics here are are really amazing. Axios reported on Monday that Swalwell was the high-profile target of a Chinese spy operation carried out by suspected foreign agent Christine Fung, who infiltrated Democrat politics in California's Bay Area, Silicon Valley, between 2011 and 2015, disingenuously acting as the head of uh, university student organizations. Now, you may remember, we talked about this with uh, Ryan Morrow a week ago, how China is spending billions of dollars in American universities, donating billions of dollars in order to get access that they could not otherwise get through things like the Confucius Institutes. So the idea that Christine Fung came in as the head of university student organization is not surprising at all. We learned this from the Clarion Project and Ryan Morrow, that this is what part of what they are doing. We knew about the money and the monetary donations, but now we're finding out about the actual physical infiltration, if you will, of Chinese spies into our universities and into our 
governments, into our politics. So Christine Fong, again, also known as Fong Fong, reportedly raised large sums of money on behalf of Eric Swalwell and even planted an intern in his congressional office before getting so close to him that federal investigators decided to step in and alert him of the situation. That's an element of the story that we need to discuss, too, and we will. Why was Eric Swalwell alerted to a spy trying to get close to him for the purposes of aiding the Chinese efforts against the United States? Why was Donald Trump and his team not alerted when federal authorities during the 2016 presidential campaign learned that there were attempts by Russians to infiltrate and spy on his team. Why did they then, instead of treating the Trump campaign as the victims of a spying ring, why did they treat them as the perpetrators of said ring? They must be working together. They must be colluding. But when it comes to Eric Swalwell, federal federal investigators warn him, obviously much, much, much too late, warn him that this spying ring is going on and that they're trying to get close to him. They tried to give him cover. They tried to use it to destroy Trump. So that's got to be examined as well. But um, speaking with Politico Tuesday night, Swalwell, again, who sits on the Intelligence Committee, unbelievably said he first became aware that Axios was looking into Fung's activities in July of last year as he was ending his brief run with the Democratic presidential primary. The California Democrat, again, one of the most outspoken lawmakers pushing the Trump-Russia collusion narrative, then said Donald Trump might be behind the story. Donald Trump went to Axios, of all places, and leaked information that uh, uh, told the, the world that Eric Swalwell had been sleeping with a Russian or a Chinese spy and giving all kinds of extraordinarily uh, important access to that spy uh, on the way. Last night, Tucker Carlson explained it. Uh, U.S. intelligence officials believe Fung had the sexual relationship with Swalwell, uh, but Swalwell refuses to comment on it. He does not deny it. He will not confirm it. He just said he can't comment on it, which means, yes, he had a sexual relationship with this woman. In its original report, Axios said Fang, or Fung, had developed romantic or sexual relationships with at least two unidentified Midwestern mayors as well. A sexual encounter with one of them was allegedly captured by FBI surveillance. So these Chinese spies are coming to the United States and working to get close to people that they believe they can turn into assets for the Chinese Communist government. They're getting mayors, and yes... They're getting members of Congress, including and especially now those that sit on the Intelligence Committee. This is massive. According to Axios, uh, Swalwell was not suspected of any wrongdoing as it involves in his, to his past relationship with Fung. The suspected foreign agent left the country without warning in 2015. But uh, the federal investigators have noted that he may have been providing access to uh, sensitive information through Fung without his own knowledge. Swalwell's office submitted the following statement to Axios ahead of the publication. Quote, Representative Swalwell long ago provided information about this person whom he met more than eight years ago and whom he hasn't seen in nearly six years to the FBI. To protect information that might be classified, he will not participate in your story. Yeah, there's a reason he's not participating in this story. Meanwhile, Adam Schiff 
has also refused to disclose why he withheld really uh, details of Swalwell's sexual relationship with a Chinese spy from the Intel Committee. To summarize this, and it can get complicated, but to summarize this, this is another example of what so many of us have been saying for so very long. Whatever Democrats accuse Republicans or conservatives of doing is that which they themselves are guilty of. You understand that? We have seen countless examples of it. Eric Swalwell was a tool and an asset of the Chinese government at the time he was accusing Donald Trump of being a tool and an asset of the Russian government. What they are doing is what they project upon their political enemies. Always. And this is an extraordinary example of it. All right, 923, we'll take a time out. I want to hear from you at 216-901-0945. Also, 888-281-1110. Don't forget Larry Elder coming up at 935 right here on The Authority. Larry Elder, the sage from South Central, will be with me at uh, 935, so you're definitely going to want to stick around for that. Uh, I want to give you a little bit more on Eric Swalwell. Uh, Like Swalwell, Devin Nunez is also a congressman from California. Unlike Eric Swalwell, Devin Nunez frowns upon members of Congress, and particularly the Intelligence Committee, sleeping with Chinese spies. You and uh, Congressman Democrat Eric Swalwell, you both sit on House Intelligence. Do you think Swalwell, did he ever tell you about the suspected Chinese spy, Fang Fang, and his, his dealings with her? And final word, do you think he should step down from House Intelligence over what's going on? Well, look, this is something that was uh, all, all new to uh, the American public uh, and to many people in Congress, and I think uh, the, the answers so far that we're seeing out of, uh, out of Swalwell, uh, who ran around, let's not forget, for four years uh, accusing everyone of being Russian agents, uh, let's not forget, he was a, what I call a P-tape truther. He was promoting the dossier, the still dossier that involved supposedly Donald Trump and prostitutes and all this stuff. Well, the whole time he knew uh, that he had some some of his own issues. I think we have a situation of the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, so, look, I think everybody needs to know uh, what did he know, when did he know it, uh, what's been done since. Uh, are you going to push for a probe? Are this? you going to push for a probe? Are you going to push for a probe of this? Well, look at this, at, at this point. At this point. Um, you know, this is not a decision that I get to make at this time. Uh, I think you've already seen our yeah. leader, Kevin McCarthy, has said uh, that he should. I think he said he should actually resign from Congress. Yeah. Um, look, he has time here to come out and tell us what he said, and then we'll see. Is he going to get reappointed to the House Intelligence Committee next year? Of course, he will. If Nancy Pelosi is still allowed to make such appointments, she's the one who made this extraordinary decision in the first place. Let's move on. Rick Grinnell, former director of national intelligence, acting director of national intelligence, and. Uh, uh, Ambassador Germany, Rick Grinnell, said that Swalwell, as bad as he is, is not the only one. Again, this goes a lot deeper and a lot further. Look, I think it's even worse than just hypocrisy. We, we're accustomed to hypocrisy in Washington, D.C. But you said it right, Sean, that, look, Russia is a problem. 
But China is a crisis, and we've known it's been a crisis for a very long time. I think that there needs to be a gang of eight, this intelligence group investigation. Certainly, uh, acting chairman uh, Marco Rubio and Chairman Schiff should immediately call the intelligence committees together. They should get a confidential classified briefing on what Eric Swalwell knew and how much did he give away because the reality is he spent years downplaying the china threat and and overhyping the russian threat this is playing exactly into what the chinese want people to do they want to be under the radar eric swalwell did exactly what the chinese wanted eric swalwell did exactly what the chinese wanted their doggone well better be an investigation and yes a cross intelligence committee investigation between the senate and the house committees it's 9:30 we're going to get news we'll come back to this later in the show but after the news Larry Elder will join us about something that is, quite frankly, tearing this country apart intentionally, the poisonous effects of critical race theory. We'll talk to Larry about that next on AM 1420, The Answer. Oh, I love the sound of that. That music always puts me in a good mood because it means that Larry Elder's voice is soon to follow. It's 9.35. Good morning. We continue. On AM 1420, the answer before we bring Larry in, uh, you know, Peter Kersenow and I have discussed critical race theory in some depth on this program, uh, through really the last few years, uh, but more, more specifically in the last year or two anyway. White employees go to work and are compelled to sit through diversity, equity, and inclusion humiliation sessions, which inform them that they are frauds whose success has been purchased by the suffering of non-whites. White government employees, thinking that their task is to work for the good of the entire body politic, are forced to attend critical race theory workshops, where they learn there is no body politic at all, only impure white people who collectively conspire to violate innocent people of color everywhere. That is the essence of critical race theory, and that was from the, uh, the uh, New York Post this morning. God forbid the Washington Post, whatever, has published, published such a thing. But no, that was from the New York Post, how the explosion of critical race theory is poisoning America. And Larry Elder was on Fox & Friends this morning discussing just that. And I was so taken by his words, I said, Larry, will you come on and talk more in depth with us? And sure enough, the sage from South Central said yes. Hey, Larry, good morning. How are you, sir? Morning, Bob. How are you? I'm great. Have, Merry Christmas to you, first of all. I uh, hope you've, uh, hope you've uh, all stayed healthy in your little bubble. Uh, I don't want to get into that too much. Obviously, we could do an entire uh, hour or so on that. But I do want to get into what you were talking about this morning on Fox & Friends. And, Larry, you know, a lot of us know uh, about the danger of critical race theory. What a lot of us may not know is the origin of critical race theory, and that is critical theory itself and the Marxism that, not coincidentally, Black Lives Matter embraces uh, that critical theory was rooted in. Well, well that's right, and, and people keep calling it a theory, Bob. It's not a theory. It's an assertion. It's an indoctrination. A, a theory is something that you put out as a hypothesis that you want to empirically test to find out whether or not it's true. They don't give a damn whether or not this is true. This is an argument that America was founded on white supremacy, uh, got prosperous because of white supremacy, and is still a country of white supremacists. Uh, and all three of them are false. Every single society uh, experienced slavery. How far back do you want to go? The Arab slave trade began hundreds of years before the European slave trade did, uh, and it did not end until well after the European slave trade ended. You, you want to go back there? The word slave originated from the word slav. 
uh, North African uh, Muslim Barbary pirates enslaved more whites from uh, from Europe than did European slaves uh, enslaved Africans out of Africa. You want to go back to the original sin of slavery? Knock it off. The question is, in 2020, uh, is, is uh, racism hindering anybody from becoming successful in America? And the data says no. Barack Obama, for crying out loud, got elected and reelected. He got a higher percentage of the white vote than uh, than John Kerry did four years earlier. Uh, back in 2007, uh, Gallup poll did a uh, survey to find out how many Americans wouldn't vote for certain categories of people. This is 2007 when Obama was competing for the nomination against Hillary, when Mitt Romney was competing for the nomination on the Republican side against John McCain. Five percent of Americans in 2007, according to Gallup, said they would never, under any circumstances, vote for a black person, referring to Obama. Eleven percent said they would never vote for a female, referring to Hillary. So she had a bigger disadvantage than, than, than Obama did. Twenty-four percent said they would never vote for a Muslim. Forty-two percent said they would never vote for a man who would become, uh, who would be 72 years old when he walked into the Oval Office. That would have been John McCain. So Obama had a, had a smaller handicap than did these three white people. That's, that's completely inconsistent with what critical race theory would have told us. Furthermore, 1997, Time Magazine, CNN, did this massive, massive survey of black and white teens and asked them about racism. And not too surprisingly, both said that racism was a major problem in America. But then Time and CNN did something very different. They asked the black teens whether racism was a huge problem, a small problem, or no problem in their own daily life. 89% said small or no problem in my own daily life. In fact, more black teens and white teens said failure to take advantage of available opportunities is a bigger problem than racism. End of quote. I've been in radio about 30 years, Bob. I have reached out to Jesse Jackson, won't come on my show, to uh, Maxine Waters, she won't come on, Al Sharpton won't come on, Farrakhan won't come on, but one of these so-called black leaders did come on several years ago. His name is Kwesi Nfume. At the time, he was head of the NAACP. And I said, Mr. Nfume, as between the presence of white racism or the absence of black fathers, which poses the bigger threat to the black community? To his credit, without missing a beat, he said the absence of black fathers. Take a magic wand, wave it over America, remove every smidgen of white supremacy from the hearts of white America. Are the major problems facing the black community still there? Do we still have a 50% dropout rate in the inner city? Yes. Are 70% of black kids still raised without fathers in the home? Yes. Uh, do 25% of young black men still have criminal records either, either having been arrested on parole or on probation? Yes. It, given that, the issue is not racism anymore in America. The issue is what social problems are, are causing the demise of the black family, I argue the welfare state, and what kind of stupid economic policies like minimum wage are causing black teens not to have jobs, and why don't we have choice in public school, K-12, through which, which urban parents want, according to the polls, but white Democrats do not, according to the polls, the white Democrats who wouldn't put their kid in the inner city school if you paid them a million bucks. Those are the things we ought to be focusing on, and looking at stuff like critical race theory is diverting energy and time from the real problems facing the black community. Not only is it diverting uh, uh, energy and time from real problems facing the black community, Larry, it is demonizing white people. It is furthering racial divides. This is the, this is the fundamental uh, problem that I have with all of Black Lives Matter and the 1619 Project and critical race theory. We are telling white people that they are inherently evil. They are inherently racist, and they can't even help it. It's in their DNA. They're inherently bad, and that, and that people of color are inherently good and pure, and moreover, 
that they are perpetual victims. You can never rise above your victimhood status because of the systemic white racist institution that we have in this country, and quite frankly, maybe even beyond the borders and and and, and uh, 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 oceans of this country. So we're talking about uh, we're talking about really advancing racial division here by by propagating the notion that people cannot possibly not be racist. It's without it's it's not even under their control, Larry. Absolutely. There's a black uh, sociologist at Harvard, been there for decades. His name is Orlando Patterson. He said in the 90s that America, despite its flaws, is now, is now the least racist majority white society in the world, provides more opportunities and more legal protections for blacks than any other country in the world, including all of those of Africa. And Bob, we never talk about what black people can do to improve race relations. You know, the polls have shown that uh, Anti-Defamation League does polls on anti-Semitism for decades. It turns out that blacks are two and a half to three times more likely to be anti-Semitic than a non-black um, a Gentile. Also, Rasmussen has done this for several years. They've asked blacks, whites, and Hispanics, of these three groups, which is the most likely to be racist? Whites said blacks. Hispanics said blacks. Blacks said blacks. Why are we having a conversation about the racism within the black community? And, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Hold, hold on. Hit, hit me with that last one again. You, what was the survey what? in which black people said the majority, the majority of black people said that blacks are racist? There have been two surveys Rasmussen's done in the last, I would say, five, seven years, asking blacks, whites, and Hispanics, of these three groups, which is the most likely to be racist? Whites said blacks were the most likely of the three groups to be racist. Hispanics said wow. blacks were the most likely of the three groups to be racist. Blacks said blacks were the most likely of the three groups to be racist. So what are we talking about here? Yeah, that last part. What are we talking about here? And, and as I said before, blacks are, more, are far more likely to be anti-Semitic than non-black Gentiles. It turns out when you ask the three major groups of racial groups in America, of these three groups, which is most likely to be racist, all three, including blacks, say blacks, yet no one's talking about what blacks can do to improve race relations. One more quick thing. My father used to run a cafe not too far from downtown L.A., Bob, and my father could look at you when you walk into the restaurant and tell whether or not you're going to be a big tipper based upon race, based upon gender. My father said white males are the best tippers, the worst Tippers are black females, so, uh, uh, and shortly, uh, uh, only slightly uh, worse than, than black males. Worse tippers. Now, 90%, uh, some high percentage, I think almost 90% of the first jobs of most people are, are doing waitressing work. You form your opinions of people based upon your first interactions with them. And if it is true, as it is true, that black people are lousy tippers, they don't tip between 10 and 15% on par, that forms a, an attitude that goes on forever. There's a hotel school of management, Cornell, did a study a few years ago, Professor Lynn, and it turns out that blacks are lousy tippers. It hurts, it coarsens race relations in this country. No one's talking about what blacks can do to improve race relations. No one's talking about black anti-Semitism. No one's talking about black racism. And regarding interracial opposition, roughly 19% of white Americans are opposed to interracial marriage. Roughly 19% of blacks are opposed to interracial marriage. So, blacks are no more noble than white people, so why are we always talking about white racism, white racism, and white supremacy when we've got our own issues facing the black community uh, that we need to deal with? Well, Larry, we're talking with the great sage from South Central, Larry Elder. Of course, you hear him every night, 7 to 10 p.m. here on AM 1420, The Answer. Larry, um, 
that isn't the best example of black racism that you said that even according to the Rasmussen survey, blacks agree with that blacks are more racist. Isn't critical race theory the perfect example of that? Demonizing the white race, literally saying all white people are. Any, anybody who says anything about any group and, and speaks of it in, in, in total like that is indeed stereotyping, is indeed prejudging, which That's is the it. basis of prejudice. And, and, and by saying that white people are systemically racist or are white supremacists, et cetera, et cetera, by, by judging them as a collective, as opposed to a group of individuals and saying this is how white people are, isn't that the essence of racism defined by critical race theory, designed, uh, defined by 1619? Absolutely. And I'll tell you, a big proponent of, of that, that, mind, that, mental, that mindset, that mentality, is Barack Obama. Barack Obama got elected, as I mentioned earlier, with a higher percentage of the white vote than John Kerry. This is the man who then fast-forward said, racism is part of America's DNA. If that were true, the man never could have become president, because if you ask white people in the 50s and the 60s if they would ever vote for a black person, the overwhelming majority said they never would. Now if you ask white people if they would not vote for a black person, there's only a small minority that said they would not. As I mentioned, uh, white, uh, a black person has a smaller handicap than a woman, than a Mormon, than an older person, based on whether Gallup poll. Uh, and Obama perpetuated a lot of this nonsense. Uh, before he became president, he gave a speech at a historically black, uh, black church. And he was talking about how much race relations, uh, how much race needed to be done, matters on race needed to be done. He said, the Moses generation, referring to the generation of MLK, Bob, has gotten us, and I'm quoting Obama, 90% of the way there, end of quote. That's before the man had elected president, let alone re-elected president. So if it was only 10% left to go then, don't you think it's even less than 10% now for crying out loud? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Two more quick ones on this, Larry. You you mentioned early on in your commentary uh, talking about the um, – uh, oh, I lost my train of thought on this now – about um, – you, you talked about your father uh, – doggone, I've got three other questions I want to ask you, and I'm forgetting the first one. Let me go to this one, then. I want to ask you your thoughts about what's going on with respect to pandemic relief. In Colorado, you saw this. So the, a barbershop owner in Colorado has sued Governor Jared Polis and uh, accused him of discrimination, racial discrimination, because he has defi- declared, has the governor there, that $4 million, the first $4 million of the $57 million designated for small businesses and arts organizations, uh, relief, co- coronavirus relief by the federal government, must be set aside for minority-owned businesses alone. If you don't have 51% minority ownership of the business, you can't have access to those dollars. And the, fee- the theory, of course, is, well, blacks have been, uh, have been hurt more than other um, uh, races in this country, particularly the white race in this country, historically and presently, and therefore we need to discriminate. So if you're a white business owner and you're going to the governor saying, hey, I need this, this is what I've suffered here, they're going to say, too bad, get at the back of the line. Go to the back of the bus because we are reversing things here, and now only people who are black or businesses owned by black people can get it. Your thoughts? Uh, it's, it's disgusting. It's just absolutely disgusting. You know, in 1940, 87% of black people lived below the federally defined level of poverty. 20 years later, 1960, that number had fallen to 47%. That's a 40-point drop over a 20-year period of time. That's the greatest 20-year period of economic expansion in the history of this country for blacks. Now, that was in 1940, before Brown versus Board of Education, before the Civil Rights Act, before all the Open Rights Act, before the Housing Act, before the Voting Rights Act. And given those circumstances, blacks still prospered. What in the world uh, is the argument for giving black people all these kinds of advantages, these kinds of preferential treatment uh, in 2020? Uh, It's just so incredibly unfair. Believe me, white people feel really, really, really bad about slavery and about Jim Crow. Uh, (laughs) The 
idea that, that racism remains a major problem in America is just ridiculous. Years ago, John O'Sullivan, the white editor of the National Review, that's the magazine founded by William F. Buckley, said this. White racism exists, but its social power is weak. The social power arrayed against it, overwhelming. We have this whole apparatus, virtually every Fortune 500 company, all of them have outreach uh, members, uh, diversity consultants, uh, all designed to make sure that the workforce is diverse. They do it for all sorts of reasons, not least of which is that the Federal Office of Federal Contract Compliance won't do business with a Fortune 500 company if it is perceived uh, as, as engaging in racism. You have the EEOC. You have all of these colleges and universities that are, that are engaging in race-based hiring uh, and, and affirmative action. If there is institutional racism... The liberals are running the institutions. They run Hollywood. They run the media. They run academia. Uh, so, so tell me exactly where this institutional racism is coming from. And the data do not show that the police are engaging in this sort of, of, of racism that they claim. It's funny that on one hand, Bob, they tell us there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Well, there's no evidence of systemic racism on the part of the police, let alone widespread. But they take individual instances like, uh, like, like George Floyd. And they use that to argue that there's systemic racism. But we can't take instances about what happened in Georgia, uh, in Michigan, and argue that there's uh, widespread voter fraud, can we? <laughs> These guys are just, there's too much. No, it really is. And and uh, it, my favorite, uh, by the way, is an example of similar to that is Cornell University. You probably saw this, maybe even talked about it, too. Cornell has decided that all university employees and students must receive the flu shot to promote a healthier campus, unless you are uh, a member of BIPOC, uh, you know, a, a person who is black or indigenous or whatever, there were people of color. If you are black, they said literally, because black bodies have been used in terrible ways in the past, we will not subject them to flu shots the way we will everybody else. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you saw that one. I hit Kirsten out of that because Kirsten is a, a Cornell grad, so <laughs> I had to throw that one at him. But Larry, the, I, my, my brain cramp. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like how the, the virus doesn't affect you if you're out in the street protesting, but you're out having a meal, right. then the virus will get you. Very much like that. And, and my brain cramp has been massaged here, and I remembered what I wanted to ask you. It was going, actually going back to when you mentioned Kwesi and Fume. You know, and, and, and you know, you're a black conservative, uh, a black radical leftist like Kwesi and Fume, who at the time, as you said, was an NAACP director. He knows uh, that black fatherhood is the biggest problem, or the lack of black fatherhood is the biggest problem in the black community. All of that stuff that you said is 100% accurate. So why then, again, looking at today, can Black Lives Matter actively and publicly promote the destruction of the nuclear family when they know it harms black people more than anything else? Well, that's why it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a, an organization that is undermining uh, the black community, as you point out. They have on one of their principles uh, opposition to the Eurocentric uh, nuclear intact family. My goodness, even Obama said a kid without a father is five times more likely to be poor, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in jail. He ought to know he was raised without his biological father. Very well said, as always. Larry Elder, thanks for coming on. Again, I saw you were up early on Fox & Friends, so unless they tape that, I said, he's awake, he can come on with me, and sure enough, <laughs> you came through. I really I really do appreciate that, Larry. Thank you, my friend. My pleasure. God bless. Larry Elder, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, really, really good stuff. Uh, food for thought that I hope you will want to discuss with me. We're guest-free the rest of the way. So if you would like to weigh in on that, 216-901-0945. We'll be back. Okay, 
Tuesday short segment here at 9.58. If you don't get on, don't worry and don't hang up because uh, I'm guest-free in the second hour of the broadcast. So uh, I've got plenty of opportunities to hear from you. Dr. Piper has the day off. He's traveling today, so he won't be with us at 10.10. You will be. Let's go to Paul in Wadsworth on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's talk a little bit about Larry Elder and uh, the conversation we just had. Hey, Paul, go ahead. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm a listener of yours, uh, for years, I guess. I'm out here at Wadsworth. I go to the same church that, uh, you're welcome, uh, Jim Renacy and I we go to Sacred Heart in Wadsworth. Uh, just a little bit of my background. I used to live in Parma. I used to work down at Berkeley Grand Airport. Before that, many years ago, I was a musician, uh, traveled around in bands. I played with many black musicians at many charitable, how would you say, Christian events up in Huff Avenue and you know, played all around Cleveland. I've never been a racist, never planned to be one. But I just thought it was funny when Larry was talking about the tipping because uh, uh, I did work at Burke, like I said, as a line guy. And it was always funny because, the, like I said, I've never been a racist, but I did notice with the, some of the tipping, he's kind of accurate on some of that stuff. I once got a tip from uh, the musician Celine Dion, uh, $100 for practically doing nothing. Bernie Kosar it gave me and my buddy... A uh, hundred dollar tip a piece one night at Christmas about uh, what ten fifteen years ago, and uh, we worked for LeBron James every time. We never got a tip from him. That was interesting. I worked for Shaquille O'Neal one time, loading up his truck and all his stuff. Never got a tip from him. That was interesting. And uh, Oprah came in. It was where that's what he said about black females. I thought that was kind of funny. We got two dollars and fifty cents from her one time. I have heard I've heard similar stories about LeBron and about Oprah. I am very surprised to hear about Shaq. Uh, I I did not. I've never heard that he was, you know, he was, uh, you know, a poor tipper like that. But uh, to to the point here, and thank you for the phone call. I got to get to our news here. Thank you for the call, Paul. To the point, what Larry was talking about is not just you know observational from his standpoint. He's talking about surveys and he's talking about talking to people within the service industries, and they are the ones who had made those declarations. So you know, it's not like he was. Uh, you know, uh, it's not like somebody went and surveyed the local Klan rally to find out how they feel about this. This is people of all races, and this is what they say. Servers of all races, rather. This is what they say, that black females are the worst and uh, only slightly better than black males. So take that for what it's worth. I've heard many a story about LeBron James being a notoriously horrible tipper. Uh, like I said, Oprah also never heard that about Shaq, though, and that disappoints me. He seems like he's a very genuine, uh, genuinely uh, lovable guy that uh, would would try to be good to people but at any rate thanks for the call uh we'll get our time out here for news and as i said we're guest free in hour two so stay on hold we're coming to you on 